Well, it's time once again to answer some community questions. And as you can see, we're doing things a little differently this week. I'm in my office and I thought it would be fun to answer these questions in a format that could also work its way into an audio podcast format. And this is a lot of talking in these Q&As, right? So uh, it really does lend itself well to the podcast format. So look for that in the future. We'll have information about that. And I just want to say for people who don't like this talking head stuff, I totally understand. You're not hurting my feelings if you don't watch or listen. But you have to understand where I come from with this. I've been doing this for like 17 years. And at the heart of what I do is education. I like to make you laugh. I like to make fart jokes. But I also want to make sure I'm conveying woodworking information as much as possible. And I find that really gratifying. So this format for me is just really great to have a question, answer a question, and then share that answer with as many people as possible, just in case it helps them too, right? We're not breaking any records with the view numbers on things like this, but I love doing it. All right, so let's get to the questions. All right, our first question is from John. He says he recently retired three years ago at the ripe old age of 50 and 11 months. Well, first of all, congratulations. Second of all, I really think we should all start to refer to ourselves like toddlers, where we actually say the months instead of the years. That would be fun. He wants a new bandsaw. He's looking at the Grizzly G0817, trying to keep the price under two grand, and it needs to be 110. So he's looking for a recommendation. Now, the thing to keep in mind with something like this is it's hard to give a recommendation if I haven't had hands-on with a particular saw. All I can do is look at the spec sheet and reviews. But one of the reasons why I do this format is to get feedback from the audience. So if you have specific experience with any of these saws we talk about, Definitely let John know in the comments. This might be really useful to him, and especially because it might be time sensitive. And I say that because it looks like it's on sale right now, fifteen seventy-five, and that sale ends on the twenty-seventh. That's in three days. So hopefully, John, you can get this uh, get this done and take advantage of that price if this is what you want to buy. Looks like it's a two horsepower motor. It's got 14-inch resaw capacity. There is a foot brake, a two-position fence, and it does have bearing guides. I mentioned these things. There's other specs, but those are things that are really important to me, and I actually like that list. That's a good set of specs. Something that might be a competitor for this this kind of saw, this class of saw, is the Laguna 1412. That guy's comparably priced at $15.99. It's a one and three quarter horsepower motor, so maybe not as powerful. It still has quick release. It's got two inches less resaw capacity at 12 inches. There's no foot brake. Uh, it's got ceramic guides. I'm not here to tell you which one's better. I tend to like bearings more than solid guides, be they, you know, cool blocks or ceramic. I just, I like the wheels, the little spinny wheels a little bit better. Uh, and also a two position fence. So fairly comparable, but a few of the specs are a little bit lower. Um, if I'm just going by specs, I'd pick the Grizzly between those two. All right, next question is from Bill. He says, I'll be building a nightstand soon. The top will be solid maple, roughly 18 inches square. I would prefer to keep the engineering aspect as simple as possible regarding wood movement. For example, I would rather not do breadboard ends on this. What do you think, Mark? Well, Bill, don't do breadboard ends. You don't need to. I think there's a real misconception here and it needs to be clarified. I'm gonna do a video about this to show with a little bit more information and explanation, but suffice it to say, if you are using kiln dried stock and it is stable material, breadboard ends should only be used if, I'm gonna give you two, two instances. You like the look and you want them, or number two, maybe you're doing a piece that goes outside, so it's gonna be exposed to a lot of temperature and humidity shifts, and you want something that will help stabilize it over time. Those are the only two times that I think you could say they're needed. If you're doing interior furniture, and especially something on the scale of an 18 by 18 top, the frame that you attach that top to should be plenty to help keep that thing nice and stable. So if it moves, it's not guaranteed that it will, but if the panel does decide to move or cup, you've got that uh, stuff there to kind of help 
promote keeping it flat, but it's absolutely not a necessity. So don't add those breadboard ends unless you like the look and just make sure your stock is well milled, it's well dried and stable and you'll be fine. All right, look for that future video. We got to do that soon. Next question's from Marion. Dowels, I keep trying and failing. My current project, I have one and a half inch wide boards, three quarter inches thick. I wanted to dowel them together with five sixteenth dowels to make a 90 degree corner. My bits wander, my jigs won't handle the narrow ends of the board. I'm feeling very incompetent. What am I doing wrong? Besides not using a Festool Domino. Man, that question bugs me. And, and it's, I, I don't like the fact that we have convinced people that they can't do good joinery if they don't have a very expensive Festool Domino. So let's, let's look at what we can do. First of all, one thing I might suggest, and I found luck doing this, is if you use a standard twist bit, that's the one that has like the conical shape on it, um, that is something that can wander a little bit versus a brad point bit. Brad point bits, because of that little uh, you know, point in the center there, and a lot of times they have these little spurs on the outside, it's a more stable bit that stays where you put it. So as, as you first enter into the wood, it kind of stays a little bit more true. Um, that might be something worth looking into that might help you. But if your jig is moving, it sounds like you may have one of the more inexpensive dowling jigs. There are better ones on the market. So here's one that I have. This is one of the self-centering models. It's about 70 bucks. Uh, you know, it works. It does what it's supposed to do. But dowels, just in general, I find them to be a little bit unstable. They're not my favorite way to do things. And when I say unstable, I mean in terms of the hole doesn't always go exactly where I want it to go. And when the pieces come together, they may not be sitting as level and coplanar as I want them to. It's just kind of the nature of the beast. But you can put a little more money into dowling jigs and get things that are going to work a little bit better. Uh, just a few I'll throw out there. Jessam has a dowling jig master kit that's $199. I think that thing would be pretty darn precise. There's a dowel max unit for $225. Rockler has their own unit. I'm not exactly sure what the price is off the top of my head. These are the upgraded ones are generally going to work better and give you better results. Um, Woodpeckers even has one. The ultimate dowling jig for $5.99. I'm not going to recommend you buy that. I mean, it's probably fantastic, but you're, you're doing dowels. You spend 600 bucks on it. I'd rather see you go for something else because here's the thing. We might be forgetting the fundamentals here. If the dowels aren't really working for you, let's push toward fundamentally good classic joinery. Um, what I would recommend you do, Marion, is start to focus a little bit more on mortise and tenon joints. If you have a good quality router, maybe you have a table saw, these are tools that you can use to make mortise and tenons. And that's going to be so strong and it's so rewarding when you build furniture with it. You can always have the dowels in your back pocket to solve problems when you need them. But that piece of wood you're trying to join in a 90 degree angle, that problem's already been solved by classic woodworking methods and mortise and tenon joints. So I would encourage you to go in that direction ultimately. And then if the budget is there in the future to get a domino, well, you already know what the joint is supposed to do and how it's supposed to work. The domino just makes it happen a little bit faster. We don't always need to go with these quicker methods. We can sometimes just say, hey, let's learn the fundamentals and make some darn good furniture with some basic tools. All right, next question is from Derek. He says, your metal lumber storage racks, how do you like them or not? Do you have them bolted to the floor? How are they handling the tall lumber? Well, they're working out great. Uh, we use them in the shed back in Denver. Now they're just here in the firehouse up against the wall. Totally stable. When you put them up against the wall, they're pretty heavy. Um, and once you get them loaded up with lumber they don't move. They don't shift at all. So they're not bolted down. They work really well. They allow us to kind of store that wood vertically. Um, so we can kind of page through pieces of wood. Works pretty good. People always ask me where I got them. Those were from Granger, And I believe you would look at bar and pipe racks is where you would find them. 
And they're not cheap, but they are heavy duty and they definitely get the job done. And our last question today is from Joel. He says, in your vast experience of woodworking and video games, what do you think have been the best representations of wood, be it graphics, game mechanics, physics, etc., in the video game medium? Bonus question. As a fan of Ska, have you familiarized yourself with St. Louis natives, The Urge, and MU330? I highly recommend you give them a listen. I don't know either of those bands, but I will definitely check them out. As for video games, I always take time to do this, and I've done this on my Instagram stories. If I'm playing a game and I see a workbench, I'll often try to get a close-up of the workbench and you know just kind of scan around and see how the designers designed it. Because a lot of times a video game, you know, graphic designer isn't necessarily going to have a knowledge of workbenches or they they look something up, they see a cool thing that looks neat and they incorporate it, but it's totally in the wrong place and just isn't going to work in reality. Um, but it's fun to evaluate those workbenches. Lots of games have this stuff in it. Uh, the one that I think I've looked the most at, um, just as I'm passing by, I look at either a workbench or just the furniture or the wood that makes up the homes is probably The Witcher 3. There's a lot of towns and it just has that aesthetic where every Everything is old, rustic wood. The textures look good. It's a great game to begin with. I absolutely love it. But if you like woodworking and you want to look at that stuff in a game environment, The Witcher 3 is going to be a good one. All right, so that's going to do it for us. If you like this format, please let me know. Go ahead and give it a thumbs up. This educational, pure educational stuff, it uh, doesn't always perform well. So if you really do like it, the thumbs up helps and leave a comment and let us know what you think. Also, if you want to get your questions on the show, you can become a Patreon supporter. We'll put the link in the description for that or a YouTube supporter with the membership thing that they have here. That's where I grab my questions every week. And uh, yeah, I'll see you next time.